Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Northampton Town fanzine, reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed and I'm happy to be joined by a prolific striker for Northampton Town in the late 90s and early 2000s, who also had an international success with Canada, culminating in the 2000 CONCACAF Gold Cup. It's Carlo Corazin. Hello, Carlo. Good morning from my end of the world and good evening to you guys. Yeah, it's it's evening time here. How how are things going in, in Canada at the moment? Well, with the whole world pandemic, it's a little challenging at the moment, but um yeah. you know, we're 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 doing well on our end of things. I think Canada, specifically British Columbia where I live, um, have managed to stem the uh the curve significantly and um but we're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully uh, things will progress sure yeah um i've been talking with various ex-cobblers players and managers and everyone that's involved in football was involved in football wants football to come back but in a safe way and uh it's just finding the safe way to do it i was reading today that the German Bundesliga is about to come back with uh, behind closed doors games, so we'll see we'll see what happens with that. But in this sort of hiatus, it's nice to look back at memories and and funnily enough, um, we've been talking a bit about your promotion uh, with Northampton in 2000, which you were a part of, uh, with that game culminating against Torquay. Do you, do you remember that game? I do, I do. I didn't play. Uh much of a part in that game but uh i do remember the game fondly i remember us clinching promotion um and i was down in torquay so it was my wife at the time had come down for the trip with a good mate from from northampton that still lives there that i'm still in touch with um but yeah i i do remember that i mean after having you know some tough times leading up to that it was nice to end on that note of promotion and lovely as a, someone that had international success to also have domestic success as well. That was a really nice moment for you personally. But let's before we get into the cobblers um, stuff, let's talk a bit about your formative years becoming a footballer, because that's quite interesting for me as a, an outsider and looking at your career, how um, a guy from Canada, albeit with Italian roots, came to you know be struck by the, the, the soccer or football bug. Can you sort of talk us through how you came fell in love with the game yeah I mean as a youngster growing up in Canada I played a few different sports lacrosse being one of them which is technically Canada's national sport and um, played played football soccer um, and then also was you know attempting it 
doing cycling, which my dad really wanted me to be a cyclist. But, oh, really? um, you know, it came to a certain age where I had to make a decision on what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, I chose to pursue to pursue football. And uh, at that stage, I I knew that it was going to take more than just remaining in Canada to find a way to play the game I loved at, at any significant level. So, yeah. um, at growing up, my dad would take us as a family to Italy every year or six weeks at a time every summer. And, uh, my grandmother still lived there at the time. And so we would go and, uh, I would try and, uh, and get involved as much as I could over there. Yeah. Cause I, I've, I've been doing a little bit of reason and I wasn't actually aware of this, but y- you played a little bit in Serie C at quite a young age. Is that right? The uh, Italian uh, third division, I guess that is. Yeah. So that's how it happened. It it was just an absolute right place at the right time. I was there on a summer holiday and we were playing just a pickup game at, at a church ground in the local little village, about 800 people. Mm. And, um, you know, it sounds a little weird in today's day and age, but a, a gentleman approached me that I had no idea who he was after this game kind of came to an end. And he said, uh, in translation form, he said, uh, who do you belong to? <laughs> and, uh, I said, uh, who, who my dad was. And he said, Oh, I, I know your dad from years ago, but of course my dad had moved to Canada and he said, uh, do you mind if I have a word with him? And I said, uh, sure. So we walked the two blocks from the church field to where my dad was was staying with my my grandma where we were staying and uh and and they they spoke and of course me knowing italian when he said oh i'd like him to stay here Uh, i'm the coach of a a team in Serie C." I of course said right away well i'm gonna stay and um you know my dad was happy to facilitate that my mom was devastated and in tears and no i couldn't i needed to go home and finish my schooling and i said (laughs) no i didn't so it kind of went to or from, but uh, from that moment I stayed for four years. Um, that's a great. That's a great story, isn't it? And in in many ways, you know, a lot of kids when they're playing, or you know, even at you know whatever age, sixteen, seventeen, you always imagine someone might be watching you, like a scout or something. And that actually really happened to you. You actually got picked up like that. That's a that's a great story. Yeah, I mean, it was again, it was a little bit of lightning in a bottle, but he obviously saw something that he liked. Um, yeah, And like I say, he was the head coach of the Serie C team, but um, he brought me out to the club and put me in touch. And this is this this is where it kind of really gets interesting. But the reserve team coach at the time for this team was Francesco Guidolin, who then became a manager in, in England at Watford further oh, down okay. the years. Yeah. Um, so he was my original real coach in Italy. Um mm. So I spent a year under his tutelage. Um, he was a young guy just going into the game, and some of the stuff he taught me were, were incredible. Um, and then after that first season, I made the jump to play in Serie C, and I played there for three more seasons. And then um, what had happened, why it came to an end, I was getting uh, – basically there was some interest from a Serie B team because I played on, when I played in Serie C, I played on the Serie C, they had an international game, and they picked an all-star team, and I played on that. Oh, okay. So I played a game, um, and 
a Serie B team, Spal, had said they were interested, they were going to come in for me. But back then, if a club owned your rights and chose not to sell you or trade you, there was nothing you could do as a player. Um, right, so you were sort of locked in. So I was stuck, and I said, well, I want to keep progressing forward. So I'd gone back in 1991, um, back and forth from Italy, sure. um, to, to with Canada, with the Olympic team, to try and qualify for Barcelona. Um, okay. So, I'd so by some... this point, you'd been... You'd been um... Involved more involved with the the national side of things, so kind of the Olympics, that sort of thing. Um, I had been involved as a at a young age um, yep. with Canada U16. I was the last one cup before we went to the World Cup, and then I was involved at a U19 level, um, and then it was the U23. So they had heard that I was playing in Italy, and they had had a camp actually um, prior to going into the qualifications in Ipswich in England. And they had flown me out to England for this camp, liked what they saw. So now I was on the team. Anyway, long story short, I had uh, come back to try and qualify. We lost to the U.S. in the final game. Mm. And then the Italian club reached out to me and said, so are you going to come back? And I said, well, if you don't entertain the deal to go to Spal in Serie B, then no, I'm going to stay home. Sure. So they wouldn't. And so I stayed, and they granted me uh, international clearance to play back at home. So I played for a season in Winnipeg because Vancouver had a stacked team at the time. And they said, you know... Uh, All right, so they they allowed you to play as long as you weren't playing in Italy, really? Correct. As long as I wouldn't come back to Europe, they they said, you know what, you want to stay home and play, go ahead and play. Uh, I get you. So you, you you played for Winnipeg, obviously, a... Quite a big city in Canada. That's about 92, I think, Winnipeg Fury. That's right. And then we ended up beating Vancouver in the final here right. in Vancouver. And then at that time, Bob Lenarduzzi um, said, you know what, next season, um, I want you to come and play in Vancouver. So he did what he had to do to get me out of Winnipeg. And I came to play in Vancouver. And that season, it went okay. I mean, we weren't that great. It was uh, one of an international year to try and qualify for the World Cup. So a lot of us were in and out of the team constantly sure. to go play internationals. So from a league point of view, it wasn't great. But, you know, I still did quite well. And, uh, and the one game specifically, we were in, uh, in California. And I was playing, again, unbeknown to me that people were watching. Um, and I'd had a really good game. We were playing at the time against a team called the LA Salsa. Um, uh, what a great name <laughs> <laughs> yeah Fantastic and uh, I had scored three goals and uh, as we were walking off the pitch another gentleman came up to me a certain man named Bob McNabb <laughs> came up and said uh, hey uh, we like what we saw <clears throat> excuse me he said uh, this gentleman here would like to know if you'd like to go back to Europe right and I said oh I said yeah, I'd love to. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting because everybody always thinks that um, these people just kind of see you and then out of the blue ask you. But they'd obviously done their due diligence because they said, well, we know you have an Italian passport. And okay. I said, I do, but it's expired. Uh, he said, OK, well, 
get your passport in order and I'm going to give you a telephone number and when you're done, call Bob McNabb and let him know. Well, this gentleman was Lou McCurry. Oh, wow. Yeah, big name in England. So Lou was at Stoke at the time mm. and uh, he was out because his wife was American and they were out there holidaying and they'd taken in a game and, and they'd seen mm. this. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so um, I thought, okay, well, I got on, you know, the paperwork done and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll pursue this. And then when it was all came through, I called Bob and I said, it's done. I've got it in my hand. He said, okay. I'm going to call Lou, and Lou said, yep, tell him to get on a plane, pay for his flight, and when he gets there, we'll reimburse him. Well, I was going on a women of prayer. I mean, you have to understand, at that time, flights weren't cheap, so I just bought one. <laughs> um, and I got to Manchester Airport, and Chick Bates was there to pick me up. And uh, he drove me to the stadium and took me right into Lou's office, and I remember back then, if some of you young people won't remember, but you had paper tickets and in the bottom right-hand corner, it always showed how much you paid for your ticket. Right, yeah. And so I showed it to Lou and I remember him pulling out a drawer outside his desk and he peeled off the, the pounds sterling and said, here you go, son. <laughs> and uh, then Chick took me up to my digs and that night they were playing and I can't for the life of me remember who they were playing, but they were playing in a cup game that night. And he said, do you want to come to the match? And I said, of course, I'm here. This is Stoke City, right? Yeah. Stoke City. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember walking into the old Britannia ground and uh, and them singing um, Delilah. And it was my first impression of football in, in the UK from a big standpoint and I thought wow ah, so you've never been over to watch a game or anything like that no well I had been over I had watched the game um when I, we were there on the Olympic trial thing I had sure. watched the game in in uh at Aston Villa right we'd watched one game but we kind of got there late and it was a team thing and it just yeah, yeah it was great but it wasn't like this impact right because now I was going on trial at this club and this club at the time, I mean, Mark Steen was playing up front. They had a very good team. So, um, yeah, so I, I watched that game and I thought, okay, I want to stay here. Fast forward, I'm on trial, everything's going good. And I'm about the second week in and Chick Bates comes up to me and he says, okay, this is the last reserve game. We're playing at Burnley. Um, you know, the gaffer's coming to watch specifically, specifically he's coming to watch you. He's going to make a decision. Yeah. And I said, okay. So we went out and I'll never forget Adrian Heath was the, was the assistant manager for, for Burnley at the time. He had come into the end of his career and uh, I scored two goals that night Mm. and he came up to me and he didn't know me. And ironically now my best friend is his assistant coach in Minnesota. So I see Adrian (laughs) quite a bit um, when they come into town to play Vancouver. It's a small world. But uh, he said, oh, well done. Because on the team sheet, again, I was just trialist. If you remember back then, they would have names and yeah, they, yeah. it would say trialist. So he didn't know who I was. He said, well, he had a fantastic game, son, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, great. The next morning, I come into the ground and bright and early. And I thought, okay, well, we'll find out. And Chick comes in and says, hey, the gaffer wants to talk to you in, in his room. So I get to the room. There's no gaffer. Right. Chick. 
And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I go, like in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this isn't good. Sure. He goes, no, we uh, we love what you saw, but late last night, Celtic came in for Lou Macari, and he's up the motorway right now going to do a deal at, at Celtic. No, no way. Yeah. And I was like, you got to be kidding. And he goes, they're giving me the interim managership, but they're not going to allow me to sign any players. So, I was so like, the timing were the timing was just one of those things in life. Yeah. The timing was just out and you, 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 you were, you were just on the verge of signing for a, a team and the manager goes to Celtic. What, what, what's the chances of that really? Well, yeah. And realistically, what's the chance of a Canadian who's on trial that I've impressed enough that he's going to go to Celtic and say, come up there. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And I knew that. I mean, I yeah. wasn't naive to that. So Chick looked at me and he said, all as I can tell you is if we had two phone calls this morning um, regarding you from last night's game. And you can either go to Crew or go to Cambridge. They're both okay. interested, in, interested in signing you. Mm. Well, again, unbeknown to me, I mean, no regrets going to Cambridge. I had a great time there, but I didn't realize and know what sort of, you know, upbringing Dario Grady had of promoting kids on. Yeah. So I I didn't hadn't even heard a crew. I'm like, well, you know what? I'll just go to Cambridge. Yeah. So jump on a train, go to Cambridge. Gary Johnson was the manager there. He picked me up and uh, went for one training session straight from the train session or train station to the training session and said we want to sign you so i signed uh it was december and i signed till the end of the season and if i'm not mistaken i think from december to the end of the season i think i scored 10 goals at cambridge and that uh, wasn't a bad start really you know there was you uh you scored some good goals fairly early on yeah and then so that went well and uh they offered me a a three-year deal and that's how it kind of got started at, at football in England. And and like, again, I'm ever so grateful to Cambridge. And I know they're a huge rival to the Cobblers. But, you know, I always say they gave me really my first crack at it. I mean, yeah, Stoke gave me the opportunity, but I never got a chance to start there. So, yeah, I start somewhere. And I started at Cambridge and it went really well. I mean, unfortunately, we got relegated the last season before I left there. Um. And, it, and it's interesting, as we talk about my career, I look back at, at sort of um, the three situations of clubs that I went back, went to that we had some really, really highs at those clubs, but we also had some, um, some disappointing times. And all three of them, when I look back at Cambridge, uh, Plymouth, and Northampton, mm. was the, the, uh, the instability, the in and out of players. And all three times, when I look back, it seemed as though every week there were two or three trialists at training. Yeah, sessions. so the big turnover of players. Um, well, we'll, the we'll uncertainty to too, Tom. Of, yeah, sure, yeah. You know, like, yeah, sure, teams go through tough times. And, you know, now I've gotten into the coaching realm over here. And you can't just be constantly thinking that something's better um, around yeah. the corner or the next guy coming through the door is better than what I have. I think you have to portray that belief of, of I've got – the nucleus sure you're going to change certain things here and there but if you don't um put the belief in the players that you're with them um you know through hell or high water um i don't know if you're going to get that full buy-in all the time 
Yeah, and, I completely agree. You know, and I've I've spoken to quite a few strikers, and that this is quite a a common theme. You know, um, you expect strikers to be to be very sort of self confident and stuff, but I think if you've got a high turnover of players, it doesn't breed the confidence you need sometimes in strikers. And um, I was speaking to another Cobbler striker called Paul Huberts a long time after you, but he said that the strike striking role is the most um, replaceable in football, really. Like you, you play one couple of games and you can be out of the team and it, it's difficult to gain consistency when you, perhaps you don't get that, that long run in the, in the side that you need. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. And for whatever reason, if you look back at, at the amount of goals at every club, I found a way to get goals. Um, yeah. At some clubs, took some time longer than others. Some it, it just it happened that way. But when I look back at my 10 years in England, and it's funny because I had this discussion with my wife not long ago, it seemed like every week I was battling another striker that was going to come in and try and take my spot. Now, that can spurn you on. But it can also, if you're not prepared mentally, it can it can really, really throw a wrench in things. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, the season that um, we ended up um, that I didn't play near the end when I when I opted to have an operation on my knee. um, It came to the point that we had I think there were six or seven strikers hanging around and I was still playing. But um, I just thought to myself. If if we don't have a consistent strike force here, how are we yeah. ever going to get out of this? And if is he's not willing, you know, is that Cambridge? Yeah, no, it was at Northampton at this stage. Yeah, I had uh, the year I won the the Player of the Year award. I I remember receiving the award on crutches because I had had a knee operation near the end of the season. Sure. And and it was like, okay, well, if I'm not going to play every game and be involved in the squad every game. I may as well take myself out of this and they can run with a couple strikers that are going to, and hopefully get us out of this, this situation. And, um, you know, it's it's a difficult position to be in. And like you say, it can, it can spare you on, it can sort of bring you down in equal measure. Um, But that last season in Cambridge should be, to be fair, uh, 94, 95. I think that was your last season at Cambridge. You scored 19 goals. Is that right? Yeah. That's a good return. 19 goals. Yeah, I had 19 and and Steve Butler had 21, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And we had we had formed, you know, an incredible partnership. And that's where I, you know, go full circle there, Tom. I go back to when you have that, no matter what would happen, um, they would put Butler and Corazine out. Now, did we always have great games? There's no question. No, we didn't. (laughs) There were days that I'm sure we had stinkers. But the majority of the time we mm. were always on the same wavelength and so one of us would produce or both of us would produce. And I remember time after time after time um, that season managers saying in media or writing in print, Oh, if we only had strikers like that on our team or the, yeah. the cohesiveness of those two. And, and that only came because we were given that much sort of lead to go and you know create and and figure out what it was and um yeah it was a great partnership and that happened a few times in my career I I should imagine that when you get into league football the 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 chances are, are so slim sometimes and the you know room for error is so slim that you 
you sometimes have to have that relationship with your strike partner to be able to to find the space for goals and create goals. And if you're being interchanged with someone else week in, week out, that sometimes you can't find that relationship and then goals are harder to come by. Do you think that's true? Oh, 100%. You've hit the nail on the head because nor Steve Butler or myself were either electrifying fast. Mm. But what it was is we were on the same wavelength from a from a football um, understanding point of view. We always kind of knew where each other was. We always knew what we expected from each other. Mm. Um, and 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 it just clicked. And and I remember at the time we had some talented young strikers that would come in. Michael Kidd, um, you know, there were there were guys on the fringes, but they could never sort of break in because we had created such a strong strong um reliable partnership that you know if we were fit to go we were going to play trevor benjamin was there and trevor benjamin couldn't get into the he would be on the bench and get in every so often but i mean trevor went on to be a very good player in his own right played at leicester city and but because of the partnership that butler and i had um it was tough for them Sure. So how did the move to Plymouth Argyle come around? I guess for someone who's from Canada, the distance between Plymouth and Cambridge wasn't a problem for you. But that's a, there are different ends of the country, those, those two clubs. How did that move come around? Yeah, so um, at that time, uh, Cambridge had been relegated and right. Tommy Taylor had taken over. And Tommy had come to me and said, listen, he said, we've been relegated and we need to generate some money. Okay. And he says, you know, you're one of the assets that I know I can get something for Plymouth have come in for you. Would you be interested? And, um, at the time I said, Oh, it's a long way away and I'll never forget. I said to my wife, um, you know what? I'm going to go down with the agent. I said, but, um, I'm only going to take a toiletry bag because I'm, I'm going to be back tonight. I said, <laughs> it's a long way away. Yeah. Um, but unbeknown to me, uh, I knew Mickey Heathcote had already gone there and I played with Mickey at, uh, at Cambridge and he had already gone to Plymouth mm-hmm. and Mickey had gotten into Neil Warnock's ear and said, no, you got to get this kid. You got to get this kid. So when I got down there, Neil Warnock brought me into his office. He wouldn't, Neil wouldn't deal with any uh, agents at the time. Right. And uh, so he just brought me in and he said, listen, he said, uh, we want you. This is what we have to offer to you. And, uh, you know, we really want you to stay. And uh, I was just like, I had never been taken that way in football before as, you know, just laid it all on the table and, and said, uh, you know, We'll, we'll get you a house, we'll get you a car, we'll get you sponsored, blah, 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 just on and on and on. And I thought to myself, okay, well, this is a chance to maybe start putting some shackles away. I am away from home, and it's a great opportunity to big club. Yeah. Um, you know what, I'll sign it. And I remember making that dreaded phone call to my wife saying, <laughs> I'm not coming back. Um, <laughs> I'm staying here. And she's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And so anyway, I ended up staying there. It was it was another topsy-turvy time. But again, had some unbelievable times there. Um, you know, going to Wembley. Um, it just some fantastic support down there. Great people. 
Um, and it's a big, it's a big, it's a big club, Plymouth. It's, a, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call it a sleeping giant, but it's, it's a club with a big catchment area and a very uh, partisan fan base, and uh, yeah, they're football crazy down in Plymouth. So, so it's a good club to be. At. I think you scored. Um, did you score seventeen goals? Ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Was it seventeen? It might have been eighteen. I can't remember. It was up in the in those numbers again. And player um, of the year as well. Yeah. Or share of yeah. player of the year. Share with Martin Barlow. Yeah. Yeah. So picking up sort of pride, not you know, like club awards and scoring goals still. So your career is still going, still going well. At that point. Yeah. Yeah. It was going really well, and then I was playing for Canada. That's what really got uh, Neil Warnock irked was. Lots had changed within FIFA and were changing. And now, if you remember, clubs used to allow you not to go. They would say, no, we're not releasing him. Yeah. But that changed in that time. And it changed to that if the national team called you in, unless you were injured with a doctor's note, you had to report. Right. So it really irked Neil and... And I get it now again, now that I'm out of it on the other side coaching, you you get the fact that mm. I see what he was trying to do. But, you know, and on the other hand, you have to respect world football. And if that's what it is, that's what it is. And it, again, it was it was changing time. So it wasn't really um, normal at the time, but it, it became normal and he didn't like it. Um, I, I mean, from Plymouth, I was traveling all this through the CONCACAF region. So you can just imagine just from Plymouth to get to London to catch a plane to then, you know, So for so give me an example of teams you might put in, in the CONCACAF region. Were you playing teams like, let me, let me just say, like Mexico and... Yeah, so Honduras, Mexico, US, like Honduras, Guatemala, Trinidad wow. and Tobago, Jamaica, Costa Rica. Uh Anybody in that sort of region is is from CONCACAF, St. Lucia, um, Martinique. So anywhere in that central South America, not so much south, but right up into mm-hmm. to Honduras and, and El Salvador. Um, you know, so there were long travels. So not only was I going away to play, but coming back would take a good week before you got back onto your feet, right? So... I get it. It was huge disruption and Neil got frustrated and we kind of had a bit of a falling out because, you know, he he expected me to go and just say no to my national team because they had committed to me. And so that didn't, didn't sort of end well. And then when he got the sack, Mick Jones, his assistant took over and I'll never forget. He, he took, he, the first thing he did when he took over, he called me into the, into the ground and it was, uh, I want to say it was like seven o'clock at night, 7 p.m. I get a call. Hey, I need to see you at the ground. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. So I drive down there from Ivy Bridge. And uh, ironically, I'm renting Neil Warnock's house. <laughs> so yeah. he gets a sack. Mick Jones calls me and he says, hey, I just want you to know Neil and I are very, very good mates. We've been close for forever. He says, but whatever's happened between you and him, has nothing to do with me. He says, I need you and I need you to play and I need you to play every game. So I went on from there and that's the year I think, like you said, I scored 17 or 18 goals. I can't remember. And that was in limited time because I was still going away with Canada all the time. So it was in and out and I was playing and scoring goals and 
formed some good partnerships again up front with Adrian Littlejohn and, and Mickey Evans and, um, and, and we flourished. And then unfortunately we got relegated on the last day of the season at Burnley. Um, sure. And it was, it was devastation for, for the club, for everybody. And it was actually, when I say things, it was the first summer that the Bosman ruling came into play. Okay. So my contract had ended and I was free to go if I wanted to go. So the first summer, you'd, you'd been used to being uh, either tied to a club as you were in, in your Italian days or, um, you know, sort of a fairly sort of controlled scenario going on. But this was the first season where you could just, um, after Bosman, John Mark Bosman ruling, go where you wanted. Correct. How did not? How did Northampton? How did Northampton come on the horizon? Well, this is this is where it, so I was a free transfer, had a very good agent at the time, and I had done very well in the sense of goals per game over those first few years in England. And I was back home told Plymouth that I was going to just basically, I didn't say no to Plymouth. I just had said I was going to entertain what, what came up and then we would talk. Yes. So then June 1st came around and Watford, Graham Taylor calls me, rest his soul. And I'm actually in on a boat in Vancouver in the Harbor. (laughs) I get a call from my agent and he says, uh, I need you back in, in England as quick as you can. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, Garrett, Graham Taylor wants to sit and meet with you. And at the time, Watford were in the first division, but they yeah. were starting to climb. They'd been in the second, and he was he was doing great things, right? So yeah, big, big club, I, big club. Yeah, and I got I got on a flight that night, and I got into Heathrow the next morning, and uh, I'll never forget. I I go to a hotel and I go meet and another one. Um, Graham wouldn't have any agents in his room to talk contracts. So I thought, okay, so I go in and <laughs> he uh, he offers me this contract. And I still, to this day, all handwritten by him, I have it in my file. In fact, still, just because it was a monumental moment in my career. Really? Okay. And, uh, and so I said, you know what, Graham? I said, respectfully, thank you for the contract. I'm just going to go out. As you know, I'm here with my agent. He picked me up from the airport. I said... I'm going to just go have lunch um, and then we'll give you, you know, we'll give you an answer. He says, yeah, no problem, son. You take your time. And So we went out for lunch and ironically, we hadn't even gotten out of the car to go into a restaurant. We get a phone call and it's Northampton town and it's Ian <laughs> <Right>. Atkins. <laughs> so somehow in the football world, they had heard I was in town as a do. I mean, the football world is so small. Sure. And the agent looks at me and says, do you want to go? speak to them and I said you know what I really want to play at Watford you know I big club it's London you know this is he says you know what he said respectfully to them he said I think we should just go he goes it's not even an hour up the road Mm. we'll go and hear what they say we'll grab some lunch on the road and we'll hear what they say and then we'll uh we'll get back to Watford I wasn't comfortable with it but I thought okay well you're the agent I better listen to what you're saying so away we go and we get up there and first Northampton who were now on the uprise at that time as well blew Watford out of the water really okay yeah so Watford had 
giving me a great terms, but a lot of it was um, appearance based. And if bonuses we win promotion, there was bonuses all over. Really good, but there was nothing. There was a guarantee of a, you know your your weekly wage, but sure. it wasn't great or fantastic. But it was good. But Northampton said, "No, we'll give it all to you in weekly wage." Right. So I'm like, oh god, now I'm really like now I'm starting to get. I think I was like 26 or 27 at the time. So it's like, what do I do? What do I do? So respectfully, I called Graham Taylor and I, I, I just, I said to him, very simple. I said, Mr. Taylor, I said, I've had a phone call as we were at lunch from another club. I said, I won't tell you who it is, but they're in the second division. I said, but they've offered a substantial amount more. I said, I'm not asking for that. I said, but could you please close the gap a little bit? Like, would you consider and very politely very very politely we stayed in contact still up until when he passed away because i just the way he affected me in that conversation he said son i've put my best on the table and you can take it or you can leave it sure and i said well respectfully i'm gonna have to leave it and he said you know he said they're tough decisions but i respect the fact that you've you've made that decision and I hope it goes well for you. Well, I go to Northampton. Watford gets promoted to the premiership that year. <laughs> and I well, go that's to Northampton. Football. So. That's football. At that point, oh, yeah. I, I must sort of add that you were right. We were, there was a feeling that we were, Northampton were, were on the up and there. Oh, it, for it, sure. It wasn't, if people are listening now, they'd be like, Watford and Northampton, why would you choose Northampton? But at the time, there was a bit of a buzz oh. and a vibe about Northampton that suggested we were going to go go on to better things. So, you know, yeah, you, they had just been to Wembley. They, you know, yeah. they were. They, they, it was. It wasn't like people would look at it and go, "What a silly decision," because yeah. they were both on the up. Yeah, it's just that at that time in my life, I started thinking, "Well, I can really start, you know, putting stuff away now with this." And so I made that decision. I knew my wife and I were thinking of starting a family, and yeah. so. Anyway, it was it was security, so I took it. And again, I don't have any regrets. I don't. I you look back and I think, oh, geez, I could have made different decisions. But I don't look back and go, oh, I regret going to Northampton. I enjoyed our time. Our, like I said, our oldest son's born there. Sure. Um, we have some dear, dear friends, some that have come out twice already that still live not even a mile from the ground. Um, Lovely. And uh, football football is a, is a game of moments. And... Uh, your career can go one of two ways in in, in a very sort of the blink of an eye, and it's not an e- it's not like a, an easy um, easy plot to course. So it's just you know so there's ups and downs in football, and your your career was quite sort of typified that. But that first season at Northampton, it's it's a really strange season because there was highs like remember we beat West Ham in the League Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, Our preseason and, was phenomenal, if you remember. We beat Wolves. We we then we played Stoke. It was, if you remember, I I look back to that season, and we had started the preseason fantastic, and they'd brought in Wilco, and Wilco and I were going to be, um, basically the the tandem to play, and that's then cool. Wilco we're, broke. We're that's right, friends. and he yeah. and we started off like a house on fire. It really. It, was the closest thing I felt like Steve Butler. He was very similar, obviously more accomplished and played at a higher level, but very similar in stature, 
um, sure. read the game and understood the game on the level like I did and just clicked. And I thought, wow, this is going to be fantastic. And it proved to be the, the preseason games we had played. And then he breaks his cheekbone in, in that Wolves game. Yeah. Um, in preseason. And then, and not after that, on the first game of the season against Stoke, um, Clint Hill has a handball 30 seconds in. We go down, we lose that game 2-1. Then, if I'm not mistaken, not long later, Clarkey, our right back, breaks his leg. Yeah. Um, so it was just one thing after another after another and that consistency thing that I told you about. And I get it now. Again, I talk about Echo and, and Echo and I had our fair moments of, you know, blood and thunder and, and teacups and stuff in the locker room because I was so passionate. He was passionate. And we both ultimately just wanted to win. Yeah. But we couldn't get on it. We could not get on the rails to get going, whether it was an injury, whether it was a suspension, whether it was this or that. And I felt like because of the injuries and suspensions, he was always trying to bring somebody in. Yeah, the high turnover so of players again. Right, and it was it was up and down. And I, oh, now we got three neutralists, and where are they coming? Who's going? And 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 it just I remember even and then listening to a little bit of your podcast with Chris Freestone, even Chris, who who was an integral part, I remember, he, he even said like there came a point where I felt like I was only ever going to play in the reserves. Mm. So there comes a point where you think, okay, does this guy believe in me or doesn't he? You know, and then. We, then he brought in Stephen Howard, which was a great addition at the time. But that's the time I think that I took I had hurt my knee, so it was in and out. And then Jamie Forster came in, and then like it was just always somebody was coming in. And again, I think the turnover turmoil doesn't help. Hindsight, yeah, it's easy to say that now. But again, from looking at it from a coach's point of view, that's sure. probably one of the things that that led to that that season being not what it should have been because on paper oh then Roy Hunter got injured almost a full season we had influential guys that just and then he traded uh Warburton to uh Rusty and Diamonds true and that's right and then he um Andy Woodman got sidelined and he played Billy Turley so there was a lot of change there was a lot of change and it's too bad because on paper that team I still look back. That team should have should have been competing for the for the championship that year. Sure, it did. There was a lot of I think Ian Atkins was plate spinning a lot towards the end, and there were certain things going wrong and a lot of injuries. But you throughout that throughout that season, yeah, you were still scoring that season. You scored on the 10th of October a penalty against Bristol Rovers. So you scored away at Macclesfield in October. You score. You're scoring still, even though you weren't. Um, I wouldn't say sort of consistently in every side, but you were. You're still notching goals, and I think that goes back to what you were saying. You still found ways to find goals in difficult times. Yeah, that's a really I, part of a feature for a striker. Yeah, and like I say, the one thing about me, if if, if and and again, I don't, Tom. This isn't, you know. Yeah, this podcast is you're you're touching base with me and getting getting to know my career and how it went. But when you look back in our day, there was no assists. Now, now they keep assists for football, which I'm old school, which kind of makes me laugh. But if I wasn't scoring goals, my ultimate goal was to make sure somebody else did. Um, I was that type of striker. I just, you know, I played like the big number nine that I wasn't so big, but 
that's how I tried to play. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that's what did keep me in some sides. Maybe when I did go on sort of goal droughts is I still was contributing. Um, I still was, was trying to do what I could do to make the team win. Um, and I think that shone through with a lot of the managers I played for. And that's why I did consistently get the runs in, in teams. And so when I didn't, as in this moment with Akko, he, he found that he thought he should play other people. It really irked me because I thought, well, hang on a second. I'm doing everything I can for the team. And you're still looking for somebody else to replace me. Totally, totally. It's um, that's going to be difficult for any, any striker. But at the same time, I think you finished that season top scorer, seventeen goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you perhaps weren't playing as regularly as you want to because you want to play every game and you want to be, you know, you know, get into the thirties in goals. But seventeen goals is not to be sniffed at. But we got mm-hmm. relegated, and that was. One of those ones where we were on a we were unbeaten in the last nine games, I think, but just a few too many draws and it just didn't draws, yeah. knit together, didn't knit together, and we got relegated. How did it feel being relegated to Northampton that time? Because, like you said, you thought that we were actually a good side. Oh, like you say, it, it it was it was devastation in the sense that, again, looking in the rearview mirror, I'm thinking could have taken Watford. They went up to Premiership. Now we were in the second, and now we're in third. So the gap is enormous. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you know, decisions that I've made and, and, you know, looking back, I probably beat myself up about it way too much because at the end of the day, you can only control what you can control. And what I tried to control was go out there and and score as much as I can and hopefully win as many games as Northampton could to be good and win. Um, But again, you're so immersed in it that it's at the time it feels like devastation, right? So I knew the relegation part was going to come to a bunch of turnover again, because it just is. That's the, that's the way football works. That's the way the, the leagues work in England that once you get relegated, you can't afford to, to carry on the same way. So a reshuffle has to happen. So I knew it was coming and, and there was a lot of comings and goings and people leaving and changing. And, and it was another turmoil time. Yeah, sure. For someone who, who's striving for consistency, continuity to get a good run going and, and progress their career, as you know, as well as every striker does, especially someone from Canada who's coming to a different country and you really wants to get stuck into English football. It must have been a difficult period. Um, Kevin Wilson eventually came in. Atkins got sacked in October of the next season. How would you characterise the difference between Kevin Wilson and, and Atkins at that point? Kevin was a lot, uh, but I mean, Ian was very fire and brimstone, right? Very um, much like the Warnock sort of mold, like, you know, very old school in the sense that, you know, it was, it was hollering and yelling and, you know, you had to figure it out what he was trying to say amongst the cryptic sort of (laughs) yelling and, (laughs) and what he wanted, whereas, whereas, Kevin was a lot more calm. I mean, there were times when he would lose his stuff too, but, um, you know, it was, it was much more calm, much more methodical. And I remember originally when he came, same sort of scenario with Mick Jones as he came to me and said, listen, you're going to be my number one striker here. Let's just, you know, calm down. Don't let anything bother you and get on and play with it. And then, um, 
it went that way. And then, like I said, and then eventually he did start bringing in a few other strikers. And I can't remember right now. It's been too many footballs to the head here. But <laughs> um, uh, well, eventually, he did, obviously, he brought Jamie Forrester in from Utrecht. Yeah. Um, Stevie Howard was there. There was yourself. He, in fact, Kevin Wilson himself was a striker. And he, yeah. and he and he and he always says he thinks he's the best striker even when he's a manager. But there was there was competition up front. Um, you did you were still scoring regularly and you had a good November, I think, particularly that season. Just after Kevin Wilson came in, I think mm-hmm. you scored four games in a row in November and we won all four. Uh, mm-hmm. So you were. When you were getting that consistency and getting a, a run in the side, you were capable of notching on a on a regular basis. So that that was really good. I, I guess looking at it, what might have happened is was this the period in early two thousand where you went off to the the Gold, Gold Cup? Cup? Yeah. So I actually went off. It's funny that you say November. I had gone off in I want to say I think it was October for the pre qualifying. And yeah. I'd gone away, I think, for two weeks, and I came back, and then I hit that vein of form. And then, again, looking at it from a managerial point of view, Kevin was probably choked because I think it was early January I had to take off again for the Gold Cup. Yeah. And now he's thinking, okay, I've got a striker that's in form, and now he's he's taking off. So I took off for the Gold Cup. We were, and I'll never forget, talking about those old paper tickets. And we <laughs> had never really done anything in the Gold Cup, so our flight was to come back in a week and I remember no. it being crossed off and then we were going to stay another week because we had advanced and, cro- and anyway, <laughs> I ended up staying a month. I was gone for the full month and we yeah. ended up winning it. Um, and I knew at that time, I remember making the calls every time we would get through and calling Kevin and he was like, Oh, that's great. Like you could tell he was happy, but he was not happy. He was like, Oh great. So you're not going to be, I said, no, we're, we're here. And, and we're on a roll, and I'm not coming back next week. Well, okay, good luck. But so anyway, long story short, he wasn't overly keen about it. But then came along another big, big, big decision because um, because of the world stage it was and the teams we ended up beating in Colombia in the final with Faustina Sprilia and, the, you know, some high, high-profile teams. Sure. Um, I got offers to go to Italy, to go back to Italy while I was in L.A. Would you come back to Italy? We'll approach your club. And I thought, well, last thing I can do is be away playing, and now people are going to be approaching Northampton. I thought, that's probably not a good idea. I said, why don't we let the season end, and then if you guys are still interested, we'll see what happens. So we ended up... Like I say, we ended the season ended up ending, and we won in, at Torquay that season, right? In the yeah. end, and then I became a free agent again. I was now on another Bosman, and it was an opportunity to go to Italy. Those opportunities were still there, and I looked at my wife. Now we had a newborn that was born in England, and I just looked at her, and I knew in her face she was like, "I don't want to move another country now." And learn a new language and this and that. So I had the opportunity to go to Serie B in Italy, and I said, "No, you know what? I'll listen to." What was the team there. that were interested? Can you say? Uh, Brescia, at the time. Oh, uh, so very good, very good side. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So, but again, you know, 
doing their due diligence. They knew I had had some grounding there for years. They would have known Spall had come in for me years ago. Like they know all that stuff as much as people don't believe they do. Mm. It's their networking is pretty, pretty incredible. So I, uh, I said, no, I'll listen and entertain um, offers in the UK, which there were a number of them at that stage. Cause now I had played in the UK for almost seven years. I had, you know, left a trail of, of what I had left. So there was lots, there was, uh, some, some really interesting offers. And then I met with, uh, Andy Ritchie. That was ironic, wasn't it? Um, well, so was your contract coming up, up, up at Northampton after we'd, we'd won promotion? We, we, it was contract. It was up. Yeah, it was up. They had, I think Kevin at the time, um, had said he was still caretaker he he didn't really know if he was going to be still manager no one there was a lot of uncertainty at the club sure. at the time. just didn't know which sort of direction they were going to go from were they going to go and compete to win again and go again or were they going to just solidify and so i just said you know what why don't we'll listen to whatever comes on the table and i'll, I'll keep you guys informed and then ironically uh Andy Ritchie had gotten in touch with me and we had played Oldham um, leading up to the end of that season, if I'm not mistaken, I remember. And, uh, and he mentioned back to that game and, uh, you know, we just kind of hit it off of, you know, just a genuinely good, good person um, who, who to me had, you know, the player's best interest in mind and really wanted me to go play for him. And the way he played, I kind of thought, you know, it was a little similar to the way I played. So maybe he could teach me something again, another level. Right. So, um, so I ended up signing there. Um, and again, another place that I kind of hit where, um, consistency and stability were uncertain. Um, I went through, I think, well, three for sure, if not four managers in the, in the time I was there. Okay. Um, and, and it just, you know, again, it was that uncertainty and that turmoil. Yeah, I think it's football um, can be a bit of a spin of the die sometimes, you know, in, 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 in another another world, your career might have been slightly more consistent. But there's a lot of really good memories in there. And you sc- you played over 100 games for Oldham. Uh, you can you be, score the winning goal be West Ham as well for Oldham? That was a good moment. Yeah. In the Worthington Cup, yeah, it, at at West Ham, Ian Dowie by at this stage is now our manager. But now we've gone through three other managers. I think it was it went um, Andy Ritchie, Mick Wadsworth, uh, and then it was Ian Dowie. And there may have been some caretaker, yeah, Tony Phyllis Kirk or somebody in there as a, 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 a part time. But um, yeah, I mean it was it was a, a great night. It was one of one of the really shining memories we went down Ian Dowie being an ex hammer was <laughs> uh was actually our coach and we won one nothing and scored on a on a set piece of corner kick a header um yeah I mean there were some there were some great times I scored four against Wrexham in a game and missed a penalty that day which I don't think I missed any <laughs> penalties throughout my whole time there but so um, you could have had five goals in one game yeah yeah that and that was astounding and I and I I want to say it wasn't long after I want to like something ridiculous. I think it was like about 14 days after a double hernia operation, I'd come back. 
um, that I'd had up in Oldham. So, I mean, there were some great, great times, great people along the way. Like I say, there's every single club that I played with, the four clubs, all of them have significant positive memories, you know, in Northampton being the first Bosman relying on me. My first, our first born was there in Northampton, made some dear friends that are still great friends, great club at the time on the up. But, you know, Dennis so you Casey in, was uh, a legend. In, you lived in, in Wotton Fields in Northampton, didn't you? And uh, had a yep. nice time living in the area. You, do you, you ever pop back and see people? I've been, we've been back a couple of times, like I say. So Polly and Pam Perkins, who are dear, dear friends of ours, um, uh, we've been back to see them. And I got introduced to them from Clint Hill. Not Clint Hill, sorry. Um, um, Colin Hill? Gosh. Colin Hill. Um, he introduced me to them when I was staying in a hotel. Teresa was back in Canada for the summer holidays and I was in the hotel and he just said, he, you know, he, he didn't know me from anybody, but I had just signed and he said, uh, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, oh, I'm just going back to the hotel. He said, oh, I'll take you up to a mate's for some lunch. So we went and we're still, like I say, he came out for my sister's wedding. We're very dear, close friends and uh, they're, they're great people. Yeah, that's, that's 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 lovely that you've still got an, an affinity for the people and, and the area. And when I speak to Northampton fans, and I'm obviously first and foremost a Northampton fan, I remember when you signed and there was a real buzz for you coming because let's face it, Northampton doesn't have that many internationals coming, and we don't mm-hmm. have you. We 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 appreciated your work rate and your ability to. You could score a tapping, but you could score some uh, what you call a weldy these days, a world class goal as well. So there was. A real affinity between yourself and the supporters which 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 still continues now and it's um and and that although you had some down times you had you were a big part of the promotion as well so you know with all the downs in football they're ups aren't there and some lovely things for you to look back at the, the football club in Northampton. oh for sure like i say i mean the club itself um took me in you know with wide open arms and like I say, right from the top from the chairman Stonehill all the way down to Dennis Casey, who, you know, was a legend there. You know, I hit it off with all those, those people and everybody in between from the marketing to, to the shop, to the, to the groundsman, to like, I had a great, great relationship with all those people. And, you know, I, I'm ever grateful for it. And, you know, we have gone back a few times. I've taken my two boys to see the grounds that I played at, and we've got some pictures of us standing on it. So, um, you know, it, it is definitely positive, positive memories. There's no, there's not a negative part about it at all. And that's really nice to hear. And um, before we, we'll have to wrap up soon. We've been talking quite a while, but before we wrap up, I'd like to talk to you about uh, a couple of things. One uh, being that CONCACAF Gold Cup uh, success in 2000 and then we'll, then we'll move on to what you're up to now but for the listen, uh, listeners listening in uh, it was a it was a like you say a, a big shock for Canada to win the Gold Cup I think they're the only club mm-hmm. from outside the USA and Mexico that have ever won it so that's right you you went to uh, it was in LA a lot of it, wasn't it? San Diego area. Um, so San Diego and LA. Yeah, we played between the two cities. And I'm just looking at your route through. As you said, your is it your federation only give you a week's ticket? Because I thought you'd be coming home. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's quite so, funny. Um, you beat mixed. Let's have a look. You, you actually got through. You, you. Let, let me just say for the listeners, you finished up the golden boot winner of this tournament. So there's not just you won it. You were the golden boot winner. So that's absolutely brilliant. But I think you got through the first round by a coin toss. Is that right? So it was like a close yeah, first. Yeah. So round. it was. So we tied two-two with Costa Rica in the opening game. I scored two goals. Um, then we went on and we beat, uh, let me get this right. So we went and then we tied, um, South Korea who were an invite nil, nil. Yeah. And, and then we had, uh, what was the other one in the group stage? Cuba, Cuba, Cuba. That's right. (laughs) That that football powerhouse Cuba. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and we drew there too if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, so what had happened is... It wasn't the best of starts, but you managed, no. managed to get some momentum, didn't you, after that? Yeah. And then it came down because it was all the way across. They had a coin toss. And I'll never forget it. At the time, we had a German coach who had come in um, six months previous. And he had really set sort of our football association um, up in the sense of organization and how we wanted to play, whereas previous to that was a little bit more kind of off the cuff stuff. Um, and I'll never forget we're under a tent at the LA Coliseum to do this coin toss and it was in front of everybody. So it wasn't behind closed doors and all the teams were there and (laughs) Holger called, they asked Holger, Holger to call heads or tails. And to this day, we joke about it. If it wasn't the German who had called for us, Canada would have probably called the wrong side (laughs) and we won, (laughs) we won the coin toss to go through. And that's when we then played Trinidad and Tobago and we beat them 1-0. And then... And actually, uh, you beat, I think before that, you beat, uh, you beat Mexico. So was it Mexico, think, then Trinidad, or Trinidad, then yeah, Mexico? I can't remember. The, I think it was Mexico the, first, because Mexico are a bloody good side, and no matter when yeah. you play them. And in, in LA, they're going to... The attendance, was, I think that was the biggest one I saw you play in. 18,000 in the yeah. uh, San Diego San Stadium Diego. against... Yeah, and uh, well, they were winning one nil, and you scored a header. Ramon, that's right. Ramon Ramirez put them up early. Then mm-hmm. I got an equalizer. I want to say somewhere around the 70th minute, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then um, back then was the first and only uh, year that FIFA had the golden goal, and so we went into ex- extra goal. time. And again, you know, talking about stats, the ball gets cleared out of our end. I chest it down and Martin Nash plays through Richard Hastings and he scores and it's over. And you could you could hear a pin drop with 18,000 Mexicans because there weren't many Canadians there. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. you know, they had Hernandez playing up front. They had Ramon Ramirez. They had like star studded. Oh, what's his name from Barcelona? That's the, the classic one you can find. Um, he was playing center back and, uh, yeah, they had a hell of a team and, um, yeah, we, we, we managed to upset them. And then we went on to beat Trinidad and Tobago who had, uh, Dwight York playing up front. I'm not mistaken. Um, we beat them one, nothing. And then, yeah. And then we had played in the final against Columbia who were another invite and we ended up beating them two one. That's just amazing. And like you said earlier on, not just Colombia, they had Faustino Espria up front. So there was a lot yeah. of quality in that Colombian side. And 
you beat them. You scored in that one as well, didn't you? I did. I scored a penalty in that one, yeah, the second goal. Uh, going into that final, did you think we we're going to win this or were you thinking this might be a bridge too far for Colombia? What were you thinking? To be honest with you, we we have talked about this many times, the players from that, the, the Craig Forrest, the Paul Pesciolitos, the Mark Watsons, all these guys that played in England at the same time. Mm. Um, we, it, it was a feeling that we kind of, again, we kind of sputtered out of the gate. But once we got through and won that coin toss, it was almost like, you know what? We could actually do this. Yeah. There was a belief that came that we, you know, we could actually do this and it just, it kept going and going and, and yeah, thankfully we ended up winning it and it's gone down in history. Like you say, no one else has ever won that except for the U S or Mexico. That's, that's brilliant. And, uh, but with all due respect to Colombia, they had some brilliant players. You, your side wasn't, you weren't um, a bunch of amateurs. You had, like you said, Paul Pesky solid there, had a great career with Fulham. There was Jason DeVos, who had a good career. Yeah. I called Paul Stalteri. I sure, sure went on to play for Tottenham. Uh, yeah. He's the one that he won. He won the European, European Champions League with uh, Bayern. <laughs> so, yeah. So in amongst this Canada side, some some really good players and I think it's really nice that we Northampton had a you know the, the golden boot winner of the gold cup in our side at that point that's uh, that's pretty amazing um I was going to ask you who was the best player you played against in your international career because you must have come up against the odd superstar obviously um, yeah so the biggest so when we didn't qualify for the U.S. in 94 yeah we just missed out um, a bunch of teams needed to come and play friendlies before going to the U.S. So five teams came to Canada, and we played right. across Canada. So we played Brazil one month exactly to the day before they won the World Cup in the U.S., and we drew 1-1. That team was Romario, Bebeto, wow. Dunga, like <laughs> Tafarel, like just crazy team, right? <laughs> and we drew 1-1 in Edmonton. I think there was 58,000 people or something like that. Then we played the uh, German team with Lothar Matthäus, uh, Wuller, Kohler, Klinsmann. Wow. <laughs> that, that team. Then we played <laughs> the Dutch team with Reichard van Basten. Nice. Uh, and, yeah, and it was the, we played them the day after, uh, again, any soccer aficionados will remember this. Hullet walked out on that Dutch team the eve of the World Cup. So he wasn't in the game, the, the, the team the day we played. He had walked out the night before. Sure. But that team, so it had uh, the two De Boer brothers, Vinter, the, another crazy team. Then we played, that was the third. Then we played the Spain team <laughs> uh, that had Salinas and, and that group. Yeah, and then we played a team from Turkey. Um, but of all those players, I still say to this day, probably the one that was the most um, powerful, strongest player I've ever locked horns with was Lothar Mateus. Probably by him, like just a machine of a person, of an engine, the way he yeah. fought the game, just incredible. A, a, a massive, a massive presence. He was a midfielder, wasn't he? As far as I remember. Yeah, he in that in that team he played as the deep lying midfielder. So mm. anytime you dropped in, 
you know, it was him that you were up against. But I played against, I, I exchanged jerseys with Kohler that day. I mean, what a man mountain he was. But um, yeah. Did you keep uh, these jerseys team. that you managed to? Uh, yeah, to swap I've them? got them all still. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's amazing and lovely to be able to look back at your domestic career. But some absolutely brilliant uh, international highlights that some other players that play internationally probably didn't come up against that level of opposition. So maybe being part of a CONCACAF region had its bonuses as well, you know, some great matches. Yeah, I, I, but I remember playing them in a Mex- playing a Mexico team when Hugo Sanchez was their striker too, right? Like this guy was... Not you bad. Know, yeah, he, yeah, not bad. He played in Europe <laughs> for Barcelona. Like, so this guy, you know, could play as well. Or was he even Real Madrid? I can't, again, my... my <laughs> my my memory is not the best at times. An but. absolute he was he, he goes down as a world great. And um, after your international career ended, you were inducted in is it the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame or the, yeah. the sort of yeah. So that the must Canadians. have been really a proud personal moment for yourself and your family to be involved. It, in. it, it was, and and my whole family came. My kids were old enough to experience it. My dad at the time had moved back to Italy. He flew out for it. Um, oh. And, you know, it, I, I'm very fortunate in the sense that, uh, you know, there's there's a few of us gone in as as individual players, like Craig Forrest, myself, DeVos, Pesha Salido. Um, but I'm one of the few with Craig Forrest that's gone in three times for two teams we played on and then um, also as individuals. So, you know, it's it's an honor. It's it's a, it's a privilege and I'm very grateful to have had the opportunities. I think that must have been um, doubly proud for your parents because um, coming from an Italian background to be um, welcome and welcomed and be successful, so successful for the Canadian team is just a, a lovely story, really. And you're you're still living in Canada now. What what are you up to now with with your life? Are you still involved in football, or what do you do? Um, I don't do much anymore. From a point of view, I was coaching one well. The, the club team I came out of here, Coquilla Metro Ford, I went back and I coached a few of the youth teams there and then the men's team. Um, I coached there for a few seasons. I was When I finished playing here for the Vancouver Whitecaps, I became the head coach of the boys' side, uh, the youth team. Um, there was five youth teams underneath us, so I was the head coach of that. Um, and then my boys chose to choose other sports which was totally fine by me I told them they got to do it for themselves and not for me what Um, sports are those so my oldest plays ice hockey and still does he's uh, going on a scholarship to a university in Vermont in the United States he's just turned 21 Um, so he's pursued that and then my youngest pursued a snowboarding career in um, in freestyle the crazy stuff yes Um, And until he he was doing very well at it, and then he had an accident on the slopes and ruptured his spleen, and oh. and uh, just said that you know mentally he couldn't do that anymore. And I said to him, it's one of those sports that you can't hesitate, and if you're not 100% mentally okay with it, then don't carry on. And and so he stopped that. So I've come away from the game of football. Um, I was doing a lot of punditry for uh, on the radio for. The Whitecaps, I was doing all their games. And then, uh, you know, this COVID thing came in. So this season hasn't even gotten started. So 
where that'll end up being once it all comes back together, we don't know. What what sort of place is Canadian football right now? Obviously, it's in Canada. For you, I'd say the obvious joke. Uh, but what sort of um, place is Canadian football in terms of its domestic league and its international uh, quality, would, would you say? Well, domestically just started up. The new Canadian actual soccer league, um, uh, it's called the CPL, so the Canadian Premier League. It was it played one full season last year, but the top three teams in the country, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, play in the MLS. So, ah, uh, so it's a bit, in. it's a bit slightly cut in two in terms of the 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 biggest the bigger city teams are playing in the MLS rather than the domestic league. Correct, correct, and the domestic league has just started the new one, right? Because it was dormant for a lot of years. There wasn't one. So they started that up last year, and it, it was fairly successful from a point of view of attendance and, and players. And um, what I will say is the national team that's there now, the Canada national team, uh, I mean, is talented beyond belief. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Alfonso Davies, who's now playing at Bayern, who came out of Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Um, then there's David, who's playing, um, Jonathan David's playing in, in Belgium. Um They've got some unbelievable talent, way talented than I've ever seen any Canadian national team. Um, so you think and, that there might be that Canada might actually be wants to watch bubbling under a little bit and maybe coming on. You know, there's always talk of a golden generation, but do you think there's a, a good crop of Canadian players coming through? Oh, for sure. And, and you know what? I don't even know so much if it's fair, Tom, that I say coming through. They're they're pretty well known established um, already, but. There is a crop coming through that are. I mean, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this team does um, going forward. Um, you know, it, again, talented beyond anything that I've seen a Canadian team um, have talent. Now, whether or not they can put all those pieces together at the right time, again, a little bit of luck is needed and, and good fortune. But um, they have the pieces for sure now to go and make impact, at least in CONCACAF in our region, to see where that takes them. That's something that I'm going to keep an eye on personally. I'm always interested in, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, fair areas of football and North America and Canada are are definitely, definitely ones to be watching. Have you ever thought about trying to help Canadian players do what you did? I know know there's a lot of scouting goes on, much more scouting now than in your day, like in Canada and places like that. But have you ever thought about, you know, trying to facilitate, you know, clubs like Northampton getting, having a look at Canadian players? Oh, absolutely. I've reached out a few times. Um, I've had a couple, I've sent a couple actually just on word of mouth to the UK. A couple have worked out, a couple haven't, Um, you know, but it, it is interesting now how, the dynamics have changed. Back when I went, it was, you know, uh, word of a mouth, Bob McNabb, knowing Lou Macario, there's a kid here, let's go watch, blah, blah, blah. Now it's become so much of a business that, um, you know, if you're not a legal FIFA agent and if you're not registered, then it runs into a whole bunch of different problems. So I couldn't, for example, I could pick up the phone and say, hey, hello, whoever's the manager at Northampton. Hey, it's Carlo Corsing, ex player there. Yeah. There's a talented young kid. I really think you should have a look at, I think he could help you out. It's so difficult. It is Mm. so difficult because I'm sure they get a hundred of those calls a day. Now, uh, to actually facilitate 
a trial and apparently you've got to go through the proper paperwork. It's not like just saying, yeah, no problem. Tell him to, like I did, tell him to get a ticket here. If if he gets here and he's on trial here for a week and we like him, we'll reimburse him his his plane ticket. If not, then it's on him and it's it's just not that easy. The agent's business is more complicated and a lot more competitive and stuff. And certain agents have relationships with X, Y, and Z. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's a lot more, more of a maze to to get through but um it would be nice to think that your opinion and, and knowledge of players would, would would count for something and hopefully that's if, if anyone from North, northampton's listening i'm, I'm telling them to get, to give you a call because i bet you you could probably reel off a couple of good canadian canadian players but it's been lovely talking to you and i just yeah. personally like to say thank you for you know the shift you put in in the, the cobbler's shirt and uh, all the you know the goals you scored and it gave us some really nice moments and culminating in that promotion at Torquay so you know thanks a lot for doing that and you've got like you say some brilliant moments haven't you and I bet you look back on your career with a lot of pride yeah I do and you know it's it's interesting because a lot of the a lot of the um the footage from that time I always say I, that I was kind of there in the in the gray area because it was full VHS and then digital came and there's kind of an area where it kind of got lost and I'm just starting now to get like I I just got sent to me um the two wolves goals the goal against Stoke the free kick and I've just that's the first time I've seen them ever since I scored them and so it is kind of neat to relive all those moments and, and and memories because there are some very good moments and memories for sure yeah, we'll try and get you hold of some videos and stuff or DVDs and the the, uh, the the recordings are all there. It's a case of getting them in the right format and stuff in more of a modern format. But uh, you mm-hmm. can relive some of your crazy celebrations you used to do, which you, some of them were death-defying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't think I could do those now. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd be able to do those now. <laughs> I've seen one. You did a somersault at the CONCACAF or a handspring. Yeah. Um, be stoked. He did some crazy Jürgen Klinsmann thing. Like he went about thirty foot in the air while doing it. You uh, did you practice those, or was it just something you did for a joke? Oh, it just came off like at the moment. Whatever came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, yeah, it'll be uh, any player that sort of retires, it'd be difficult for them to do the handspring. But um, yeah, let's let's keep in touch. And it's yeah, really really good to talk. And I'm personally as a fan really interested in players with an interest in international pedigree like you had and and just talking to you I found that you played against the likes of Romario and Hugo Sanchez and these sort of fantastic players so even though you you probably enjoyed just playing at places like Macclesfield just as much just getting in there and putting your body in the line a little bit and getting in amongst it yeah for sure like I say I, I have no, zero zero regrets if anything I have fantastic memories of my whole time across the UK and like I say every single stop had its had its very very positive points in my life that I still hold dear to this day yeah and I, I said to um I said to uh, Paul Hooper so I was speaking to that most a lot of young lads in the UK and maybe fewer in Canada but you, yourself especially you dream of becoming a footballer not only did you manage to do it you played for your country came over to England had a career and that's they're, they're real achievements you know a lot it doesn't happen for a lot of people so should look back with real pride and if you if you ever come back over you know it'd be, it'd be nice to have you have a beer or and you know always welcome at Sixfield at any time so come come nope. to a game when it all starts up 
No problem. I'd love to. And maybe if uh, you catch me on a good time, maybe I'll uh, even come in and do a couple uh, punditry things on a game. If they're doing one, it would be interesting to to do a bit of uh, uh, something like that to, to give back yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, Radio Northampton would be glad to have you. And it would be very interesting, actually, to you to see how forwards work now because the game the game is a lot different, I think. is you know, the, the, mm-hmm. um, I've spoken to a couple of players and they often go and watch games and they're saying, why aren't you making this run? Why haven't you just put yeah. your head in there? Why haven't you done this? And it, the game has changed a lot more technical, maybe a bit less passionate and, you know, it'd be mm-hmm. interesting for you to, to have your opinion on that. But we'll, we'll leave that for another time. And um, yeah, you take care of yourself. It's been lovely talking to you and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Yes, no problem, Tom. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, to all the Cobbler fans out there, it, uh, you still do st- stay dearly to my heart. And it was a fantastic moment. And anytime you want to do something like this, just uh, give me a shout. Cheers, Carlo. I'll be, I'll ring, when the uh, the season starts again, I'll, I'll ring you up and you, we can we can have some in-depth punditry of our season. <laughs> but, um, until then, let's. Uh, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Okay, take care. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details